episode 316 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Jordan, hello there. Hello. Jordan, uh, this wasn't exactly what we planned for. It wasn't exactly, certainly what we hoped for. We knew there was a possibility, but we are here to talk to you all after the first two games of the Bucks Conference Semi-Final Series with the Miami Heat. And how many wins have the Bucks got through these first two games, Jordan? Uh, that's a zero. That's a zero. Uh, not great. Not ideal. Maybe the end of the season. Maybe the start of some much greater turmoil. The Bucks are back, baby. <laughs> Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> yes, they I are. I don't know. I I mentioned this to you beforehand. I'm obviously very disappointed, and I don't feel like this in the moment when I'm watching games. But today I woke up, and I was very much okay with this, in a way that I don't think I have been over things the past couple of years. And I'm trying to work out why that is. I mean, I don't know if that is just a... Now it hits it away where, oh, well, you know, this is bad, but I have seen worse in my time covering this team. I have definitely seen worse. So eh, there's always that. I don't know if it is that. And this might be the most incredible element of all, but unlike last year, it feels like they're really being beaten by the better team right now. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about semi conference semifinals year over year, well, let's talk conference finals to conference semifinals. Because I mean, I just we we know how they started against the the Raptors, and I guess we'll now cling to that as hope that you know it's always possible that a team can have a complete meltdown after taking the first two games and end up losing a series. But the books were in that series in a way that's very different to this. And even when they lost, it was a singular thing where we could all point to Kawhi Leonard and say, yeah, look, that did it. For as much as we may talk about Fred Van Vliet, and the Bucks lost to Kawhi Leonard having an all-time great playoff run that brought yeah. a championship to Toronto. I, like, I think even that, uh, set aside, I think the Boston thing last year is different because I just think we knew the Bucks were better than the Celtics. We knew that they could break that open, and when they did, boy, did they break it open. But I think, compared to the Raptors last year, that one really rankled, because 
we saw the book start the series so well and it was in their hands and they were halfway there. Yeah. This one, well, they're halfway somewhere, but it's certainly not there. Their hands aren't even holding... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't even in their hand. It hasn't been in their hands to begin with. Mm-hmm. <sighs> no, I mean, even just look at last, this conference semifinals, I mean, the, like we talked about probably going into the series, like the Celtics were given this benefit of the doubt against the Bucks team that was, you know, storing through the season, but, you know, didn't have any playoff credentials. They hadn't even won a playoff series before being the Pistons in 18 years. You know what I mean? And then you come across, a, like, we all know what happened last year and how they solved that problem. But, like, the Heat are the totally opposite end of the Celtics where they are very much together in rhythm. I mean, it's not just Jimmy Butler. Goran Dragic has been very good for them this series. Like, I, I the... This go. This will go into other details of the the first two games of the series, but it just, it just, it's. And this is even a Heat team that is. I mean, this is still a new Heat team to begin with. You know what I mean? It's yeah. still it's a lot of it, it. Jimmy Butler's new to this team. There's a. There's obviously like the Duncan Robinsons, Kendrick Nuns, that are you know go from undrafted to you know. I guess more in Robinson's case than none, like playing in playoff games, rotation, starting lineup, all that stuff in a year. Bam's like, like what, a third year player? Third year player that, you know, this and this is his first year starting. So Did Tyler Hero playing like thirty two minutes against the books in game two? Like, I mean <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 wild. I mean, I, I do think, and as we get into it, there are some things that even just tentatively in our private conversations, I think we disagree with, uh, or disagree on, I should say. And I I think I put this a lot more on the books than you do. You you put this as things the Heat are doing. Maybe that's an oversimplification of putting it, but I think like the books are doing so much of this to themselves. And that's not to diminish what the what the Heat have done. The Heat are playing well and they're executing their game plan and they're doing what you need to do to beat the Bucks. But the Bucks are certainly giving them every kind of helping yeah. along the way. Yeah, like the margin for error is already slim because of the Heat playing as well as they have. Yeah, and, and... matchups and the coaching kind of differences between the teams. Yeah, that certainly has uh, tilted towards their favor. And it's just like the following. Like the stuff that we, I, again, this is discounting, well, it has to count the end of game two. But like the the, the fact that we're just seeing guys like a step slow or closing out aggressively. I mean, like the Corver flag and foul yesterday. And it was, it came at such a pivotal time. I'm, I might be like the only one harping this, but like it just felt at that point the Heat were not like at the same level offensively. You could just tell that they were kind of it was kind of getting more to like they're grinded out. Like, okay, Goran's gonna handle the ball. He'll try to do you know his drogishness, <laughs> and it that just kind of this was when you tweeted and you would you'd already messaged me privately about it. Like the run has to happen now was essentially yes. that they had just. It was one of at least two occasions, maybe three, where the books had like closed the gap 
completely. I mean, in the fourth quarter, they even took the lead briefly, and every time they did that, they then proceeded to give up like a seven zero run. Which, yeah, fouling would be a like big part that. Of that right after they tied it at seventy eight, and I think they, I don't, yeah, you're right. They didn't hold the lead before that until the start of the fourth. But like, you could just t- tell momentum if whatever people are believe in, if it's a thing or not. But like, it was just like this. They're their defense is finally clicking the place where they're making it tough for the heat to kind of just generate quality shots. And their offense is still, you know, still at the same rhythm as it was in the second quarter. And you're just kind of like, if you, if this isn't it, then you're still going to have to be playing from behind. And obviously that just kind of felt, it just felt like that. It was like a cartoon or like, you see like that dollar bill, like on the, on the pavement and it's like attached to like a, like a fishing lure. And it just keeps mm-hmm. like, you're just like chasing it, like, like incessantly. And it just like stuff like that. It's just this self-inflicted nature. And this isn't just contained to the series so far. It's been throughout this, like in the bubble, whether it's been guys in and out of the lineup hurts, whatever you want to say, like they can't kind of just get out of their own way. And that's where I agree with you. Like, it's certainly a gray area. What is, what is, and isn't killing the Bucks so far in this series, but the fact that they just—it goes back to poise. They just there is just something about like there's just this chaos that happens with them in these playoff games when it gets tighter, and they—I don't know. It's it's just kind of beyond me at this point. Do you not think, and I mean, I, I think this is a point where we'll get into officiating in a minute, because I think it's not normally something we talk about, but I, I do think there's a conversation to be had, and it also feeds into what I'm going to say now, which is, I don't I don't know exactly how much of these other games you've been watching, but any time I've turned on a game in the last week, it has been chaos. There have been pretty insane officiating calls made and the players have just looked like scrambled all over the place and on the one hand there's this narrative which i don't think is untrue that the quality of play in spells has been really high overall and that you know whether it's the few months rest whether it's eliminating travel all these things have an obvious benefit and yet when these games get late they're getting so much more hectic which is kind of surprising considering there's no crowd, and that's a big variable in that too. You'd think if ever there's a playoff scenario where, you know, getting emotions or keeping emotions in check, this would be it. And maybe we saw that because Eric Bledsoe played a pretty good game too. But I just, I, there's something more generally just chaotic about these playoffs that I, I don't think that's just the books thing, although it certainly hurts the books a lot more. Like if the books lose their grip on things and everything kind of just gets a little bit messy and isn't quite as crisp on the offensive end, that can be a big problem. On the defensive end, it could be an even bigger problem. Although like the defense quarters two true four last night was good good to really good in some stretches. I mean, they only gave up, I think, 78 points across those three quarters. There's no issue with that. No one is going to be complaining about that. If oh, the first for game quarter two, wasn't, Yeah, for game two. And if the first quarter wasn't a complete and utter disaster. 
Yeah, the the fact that they were down. I mean, it was again. It was lucky that they were down by nine. <laughs> if it wasn't for Brooke coming out of the gate and all this, yeah, all this stuff that they were just they were playing from a hole to begin with. But I, I to get back to the first point that made there, are you from any other games you're seeing, or like do you think there is something? Like I, I, we talked last night, I know you you weren't watching most of the game, but you turned on the end of uh, Thunder Rockets. That's it was like you know having the same night, the decisions made by officials in two different games, and just the completely crazy endings to both games. And then I didn't watch uh, Jazz Nuggets tonight before, but I believe I I mean I saw I watched the last ten seconds or the last uh, minute just to see what everyone was talking about and you just have these completely crazy bursts of play where it's like yeah, very guys frantic. have completely forgotten it's so frantic and I, I can't put my finger on that in terms of I can't say well this is the reason for that but there is certainly a team of you know games can start really well and you can get teams executing quite well playing crisp from the off that happened with the heat in game two it happened with the books in game one of this series but as the game goes on, and as the pressure really ramps up, there's something about the environment that it seems to be bringing out a very different energy, and it's leading to just madness down the stretch. And I mean, the other part of that is the officiating. I mean, I think whistle happy is the understatement of the century to describe how <laughs> this series has been officiated so far. But it's it's got to a point where it's even in some of the calls, which are... I I was really kind of amused during the game when, in seeing not, not so much books, Twitter, or heat Twitter, just seeing neutrals watching the game and the calls that they were just like, oh, that's 100% correct, that's unambiguously, that's the right call or that's the wrong call, and then trying to actually parse through and work out the difference. So, for example, the Corver call you mentioned, okay? We know the rule. Yeah. We know the rule. It's well established at this point. Once you see the replay, and particularly when you see that he rolled his ankle as he did, the fact that Iguodala was on the floor, the fact that he basically hobbled off, if it wasn't for the fact he had to take the free throws, he would have been straight out of the game. I mean, we know a flagrant foul is coming. Yeah. At the same time, Iguodala came down with his legs stepping out a foot and a half, two feet into cover, doing a, which doing a Reggie Miller. It, it's that's not his natural motion at all. I, at all. I thought the same though with Brooke in the first. But that is Brooke's motion. It is, but it it was also I don't know. He just, I I'm, think it just I'm looks not gonna, weird. I'm not going to dismiss it out of hand because, I mean, if, if that that would feed into my larger point here, which is, okay, let's fast forward. Let's go to a play which I think universally everyone felt was wrong. Just this is a terrible call, uh, including, it seems, the officials because they came up with a makeup call to decide the game four seconds later. The Middleton three-pointer where Dragic gets in and gets felled. Everyone was just, you know, no doubt about this, it seemed. People who are neutrals, no way is that a foul. It's a terrible call. 
And I was looking at it, I was like, Middleton comes down and there's like maybe a millimeter millimeter between his his shoe and Dragic's. Just because mm-hmm. Dragic is standing there without moving into his space extended. He was in his space to begin with. Yeah. It's like that's a foul. What are we, what is the what are we doing? What is the point? How is one a flagrant? It's not so different from the I mean it's gonna get overshadowed now, but like it was no different from Giannis following Butler on the next possession. Or like you know what I mean, like the kind of the shooter space that we that has Well that of... was the that was the explanation. Was it Mark Davis? Was that yeah. who it was? That was the explanation he gave and Something with his for, for the Butler one. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is that is nonsense. It's complete and utter nonsense. I'm not a, I'm not a calls truder, but like, <laughs> Jimmy Butler had no problem in terms of landing room. Um, there was no contact before or even really on his way down. His feet were almost on the ground again, and Giannis put his hand like almost on his back, like placed it, like not even like grabbed him. And that was the call. Very strange. I mean, let's take all of these. And if you want to throw in that, yeah, maybe Brooke in the first quarter, he didn't have a natural motion. He comes down. It's like, well, three of those calls, I guess going by the officials logic, four of those calls are coming down to the same thing, which is the jump shooter's space. Yeah. And like, we see that call throughout the season. We don't see it that often in a game. And I don't know how the officials at some point aren't, like, looking at each other and being like... It's it's not like these players have completely forgot how to play and they're not defending the same way they defend game in, game out, year in, year out. Like, that's not what happened. So I just have a tough time wrapping my head around how a game ends up being what game two was, which is this free throw fest. I mean, 71 free throws combined for the two teams. There was like at least four, if not five occasions where players were fouled on three-point jump shots. Like, that's not normal. Not normal at all. And let's be honest, it was a key part to the books being in that game to begin with. If if the Heat didn't keep fouling them on jump shots, I mean, this game could have been really, really ugly. Chris had seven personal fouls drawn. I saw that going through the stats last night. Like I thought, Chris, I thought Chris was really good. I like, did too. Really, really, really good. Like he finishes six of fifteen from the field, but that's just such a massive disservice because he shot twelve free throws. He only missed one, and like they were, they were jumping on him. I just thought he looked really in control what he was doing. Uh, we can't have the complaint about you know, oh, he only put up eight shots or that kind of thing. He went, he shot, he played really aggressively and forcefully. Uh, was it eight assists, three turnovers too? Like I mean. Six rebounds, really good. He was a plus 18, which is not just a, yep. a Bucks high. It was quite comfortably a game high. Like, Jesus. maybe we should lean into that a little because I'm looking at the box scores now. Yeah. Three players finished the game. You're probably doing the same, so you're going to be able to answer this without playing along with it. I'll, uh, I'll, three... I'll bird box it. You, you, you'll know this already anyway. I know you will. But three players finished the game with a positive double-digit plus-minus. Can you name the three players? This is a well, I know Giannis is definitely not a part of it. 
No, Giannis is not a part of it. Chris, <laughs> okay. Brooke. Yeah. Three? It was, yeah. It wasn't Wesley, was it? No. It is another Boto? book. This is across both teams. The Heats. Oh, Hill. Hill. No. You obviously haven't seen this because I don't think you're going to get it. It's Kyle Culver. Kyle Culver was plus 11. Yeah. Wow. Cor- I guess Corver he only played was- 10 minutes. I thought Corver was actually pretty good last night. I and did, but I that, 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 it confirmed oh, man, that. that soured me so bad. Yeah, that, that clearly has really got into your head. Um, but I thought compared to game one where he shot a lot more, I thought he was really good. Even like yeah. something as simple as how quick he was to react to the the trap on Butler to help out Hill, which ultimately gave the books a chance at the end. I mean, I just thought he was kind of sharp and in the game in a way that maybe didn't apply to all of his teammates. But isn't that crazy that only three players in the game finished with double-digit positive plus-minus, and they were all books? That's, yeah. Which is highlighting the book's problem, which is just this complete chasm of difference. Like, Pat Connaughton played 12 minutes, Chris Middleton played 33 minutes. The books are plus 18 when Chris is on the floor, minus 19 when Pat's on the floor. Like, a 37-point swing between any two players on a team plus-minus is just... It's kind of unheard of, let alone when the player on the negative side of that has played 12 minutes total. And that is the issue. I guess this brings us into coaching. This is also going to bring us into Giannis. This brings us to the heart of what's going wrong for the books. Uh, Off the top of your head, again, you may know this or you may be looking at it, but do you know how many players that he played last night? Well, Iggy... Got hurt, so Jones Jr. came in. They played like nine the first game. I would say maybe 11. No, they played 10. They played 10? They matched the books. They played 10. And the reason I just asked that to open this is, obviously there's been so much discussion about Bud's rotation and how deep he's going in his bench seems to be something that people come to a lot. Where that's not the problem. That's not the problem at all. Uh, Mm. The problem is the combinations. Yeah, yeah. More than the players who are being played and how deep he's going. Like, no one is complaining about the Heat going 10 deep. It's about getting the balance right in your lineups, getting your balance right for the matchup, and the Bucks could not be further from that. I mean, we'll do Bud first, because I think it's the thing that everyone's very much united on before I'll come in and do something that will probably annoy people, but I think people need to hear. Well, it'll be a little bit later. For Bud, 36 minutes for Giannis, 33 minutes for Chris. These are, again, the primary preoccupations, concerns of many. I have sympathy for him on this front because, again, those two guys just can't keep themselves out of foul trouble. I mean, Chris, it wasn't the case in Game 1. It was Brooke instead, but Giannis... How Giannis could have a game one like he did and then rack up three fouls as rapidly as he did. I mean, in Chris's case, I don't know if we were even 15 seconds into the second quarter when Chris got his third foul. Like, it was... Yeah, it was was instant. And that's not the same as, you know, four minutes left in the second quarter picking up a third foul. They were both... 
well ahead of the curve on that where you're like you know without doing anything stupid they could just easily in the flow of the game pick up a fork fell before half time and then we're in big trouble so there are the calls and i understand them and it's certainly what he's going to have to do from now on to trust those guys more i think they just need to stop doing it <laughs> like Giannis in particular stop fouling stop making boneheaded fouls you're going to pick up some fouls there's going to be some really annoying offensive fouls that will go against you just don't throw in any stupid foul don't take a risk at something where you know there's a high chance it's going to be a foul his decision making has not been good and it's really hurting in that regard so that is adding i think a, a different variable in a lot of fronts because one it is leading to more minutes than i think anyone would like for those two guys on the bench maybe just as important though is how the Bucks haven't had a chance yet in this series to just kind of flow through rotation somewhat like they might have planned. Like, I I really wonder exactly what the breakdowns would be if people didn't end up in foul trouble and there was no need to be kind of protecting players or thinking about that element of it. Yeah. You know, it's not just any player. I mean... Yanis and Brooke and Yanis and Chris, like we're talking key, key players that have thrown off possibly substitution patterns, possibly pairings that the books wanted to go with. I mean, in this game, considering how poorly the first quarter went, um, second quarter was better, but again, the books could have done with maybe clawing back some more than that then. It, it, to me, it's hard not to look at that and be like, well, you know, if those two guys could not foul, maybe we get to see something different. At the same time, and I don't think these are the things that people are really talking about, Bud is still doing some completely inexplicable things. I mean, all of the focus and attention just goes to, I mean, someone should make like a, just a, like a plug-in tweet generator where you can just put in whatever number Chris or Yanis are at the time and it sends a tweet for you because it's, it's so boring seeing every person on Twitter be like, Chris Middleton has played, and it's X minutes. Giannis Antetokounmpo has played, and it's X minutes. It's like, yeah, okay, we get it. Things that are bothering me and puzzling me more are, okay, Brooke had a red-hot start in this game. When he went to the bench midway through the first quarter, he sat for like six, seven minutes. Yeah. I don't get it and i think in that case this feeds into something that we talked about in the preview episode and something that i I know we've discussed privately and we both agree on and i think this is just a big misreading of the series maybe it's an overthinking of things from bud i certainly think that is what he's more prone to do there's now like the past two games have been a disaster for him and you know his playoff reputation wasn't strong to begin with is now in tatters and people are piling on as if he's a moron. Like, I think anyone who's being honest about it knows, but is not a moron. Like, I won't name other coaches, one could say previous coaches, who, you know, they say some stuff and you're like, is, is this guy serious? Is this... Why would like, you lie? That doesn't happen with Bud. Like, even when things are going wrong, I think he can come out with an answer, which is coherent. And you can understand where he's coming from. I, I think what he's often guilty of is overthinking it. Um, 
possibly, not even possibly, very much so always thinking he has more time. Um, maybe trusting his players too much, I think, is a key part in that. But I think one of the areas where he's overthinking this series is going away from the book size. And yes. we talked about this ahead of game one in terms of, you know, do you want to play this series on your terms or do you want to bend to the Heat's will and try to adjust or fail to adjust to what they're doing? And the books have slipped into the latter category because the obvious area of weakness, if you want to take control here, is like Bam Adebayo and Kelly Olynyk are the biggest guys they have. You've got Brook Lopez, you've got Robin Lopez, you're going to have Giannis there. Use that size and go inside. If they're not going to let Giannis get inside, get the Lopez brothers inside. Maybe don't uh, quite make your passes as obvious as the really awful uh, entry pass Middleton had over the top to Brook, where Brook was quite slow to react on that too. But that was that was a bad moment again at a time where you're like, this is not the time to start giving some back. But I do think there are options there and the books have done it. And Middleton actually himself has been very good at finding passes over the top, you know, get Brooke to move in behind and find a pass over the top. If someone comes to front them straight away, bang, pass over the top. He can seal them off and he can finish. And that's there for Brooke. I think there's minutes for Robin. I think this is less of an issue last night. Marvin Williams wasn't good offensively, but I thought did a much better job defensively than he did in game one, which was a nightmare game for him. Uh, you wrote about this a little bit today at Behind the Book Pass, but there is a real issue when the books go small defensively, in part again, because you're playing into Miami's hands. You're letting Bam Adebayo be like one of the standout physical presences on the court. Mm-hmm. And he's really good and he's skilled and he's aggressive. So if you give him that advantage as well, he becomes really difficult to stop. The books and even Brooke are having nightmares trying to box him out. And even when Brooke did box him out, there's just no one there for rebounds. Some really strange kind of details like that across the two games. But watching game one, I was like, Robin Lopez needs to be in this game. And so when before game two, it was announced that, oh, uh, Bledsoe's back. Great. Frank Mason remains active. Robin Lopez is inactive. I couldn't believe that because even if you do think it's not the series for him, he is your counter option. Your counter option is not Ursan Ilyasova. It's not Frank Mason. Frank Mason may have needed to be active because, okay, if Bledsoe's hamstring goes bad again, you need, you need to just have your point guard depth. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at how the game is playing out, I look, thinking about, you know, and this is the thing with a playoff series, it can always develop in different ways you haven't quite expected within the flow of any given game. I just think you've got to have size there. Like, what if Brooke had been in foul trouble again? He certainly racked up fouls as the game went on without ever quite being in foul trouble. What if he'd been there again and you were having success going big and all of a sudden you can't? That's just, that's bothering me because I think... It could happen that you try Robin, it doesn't work. It certainly wouldn't be the first time that's happened this year. It may well be the last time with the way the series is playing out. But I don't think you should be taking that option away from yourself. And that's what they've done. And in game one, I think it hurt them defensively. And at times in game two, I thought, 
you know, they could do with Robin. They could do with someone who, okay, if Giannis is going to be walled off and they're not going to let Giannis get into the paint, well, then you might have to say, okay, Giannis isn't going to operate in the paint. We're going to get someone else that you will allow closer to the basket. We're going to try and get some post game going. We're going to get someone who can, for example, get a few hook shots and we're going to utilize Giannis as a passer. Or, I mean, and this is something you could do a bit more with Brooke if you decide to go that way. Like, sure, Brooke had great success in the corner early in game two. But maybe move him inside and use some of those post skills. Maybe get him inside to the point where he could be something of a hub. We're not talking about uh, Nikola Jokic or even a Bam Adebayo level passer. But with the way the Bucks half-court offense has struggled really significantly at times through the first two games, there are certainly moments where I'm like, you they could do with the ball going inside just if it's just if it's an extra option that's gonna allow movement off of that player. You know, if you could have, okay, the ball goes inside and then we've got quick cuts. And even if that then results in the ball being kicked back outside, you're just you're giving the Heat something different to look at, something different to worry about. Because right now, all they have to worry about is stopping Giannis. And as much as that's a sizable concern, they've got a pretty strong handle on it. And there isn't there isn't something new coming. And I, I think the, the thing with that that's unfortunate is, I think Chris Middleton's got this series down. He's Yes. He's got the feel for this series, for this matchup. None of these defenders bother him. Uh, I'm sure if they wanted to put Bam on Middleton, Bam could cause them some real trouble, but they're not going to be doing that given the other matchups that they have to worry about. Uh, Brooke Lopez is continuing what's been a terrific spell in the bubble for him. He's playing really well. So you've got two of those guys playing well. Eric Bledsoe had a very good game too by his standards. I just thought very solid uh, in the first half, did really good work by finding the gaps, penetrating with pace, getting to the rim. Because, you know, Giannis wasn't able to do that. No one else was doing it. Bledsoe did it. And much like Brooke in the first quarter, if Bledsoe hadn't got a few drives in the second quarter, the books would have been blown out of this at half time. But with all of that, I just look, I'm like, okay, you've got to just do some different things or at least give yourself the option. Like, I'm not saying Robin Lopez needs to be active and play 25 minutes in this series. But... Could there be five minutes? Could there be ten minutes where you put him in and something unfolds and then it's actually working? I I think yes, and I don't know what is happening with that. I mean, there are, there are other issues that we'll get into in a second, I think combination-wise in particular. But that one for me just... It's, it's not just Robin being inactive, because it's also the way Brooke, after the start he had, was then kind of sat on the bench for a long spell, then being very much limited in terms of what they're looking to do with him. They're only looking for him from the corners for the most part. It's like there was just a decision made among Bud and his staff before the series where they're like, we just have to play this series small. We can't beat the Heat with size. And I can't wrap my head around that because I'm looking at this and being like, the smaller you play, the more you're playing into the Heat's hands. The more you make this uh, a series of kind of long-rangey switchable forwards, this is what the Heat have tons of. They can put up out a lineup with like four to five guys who fit that bill. So 
put some real size out there. You know, it's, yeah. I think there's one of two ways you go. You put some real size out there with, with like true centers or you go the other way and maybe you take a look at, okay, well, what's a, like, a, what can we get out of a Bledsoe Hill backcourt? What can we get out of putting two guards on the floor like that, maximizing ball handling, maximizing just our attacking options? Because right now what you've got is very easy for the Heat. Yeah, I, I think, I totally agree. I think, I mean, there's a lot of things that Bud has kind of overthought or, uh, I, don't, I don't even know how to like describe it, but I just think you go with what brought you there and they've, they've pitched, they, by not having Rolo and granted, okay, like, I'm not saying Rolo is a world beater. Or this series is going to live and die by Rolo, but by not by going smaller, you're you're putting more pressure on a Giannis slash Marvin being able to execute defensively the same way as that they have their scheme of like protecting the rim, all that stuff, and playing smaller and relying on guys like Dante, Pat, Corver to hold up defensively. Two of those three guys have not been great at all. I mean, Dante's I mean, a shell. Uh, oh, this is un- sorry. I'm gonna cut off you and cut you off now because that's understating the century. And yeah, Don- Dante is like, you know, red rag to a bull for me right now because it's just a red red ragu maybe to to a bull. <laughs> we could put a, but it's it's so brutal. It is. It is. The, it is. I don't, I don't think it's, I think it's, it's not even, it's, it is massive to where the Bucks are right now because it loses, you lose a kind of a secondary ball handler, creator, whatever you want to call him. Remember just before the season was suspended, like, I mean, our last podcast for months was us just like gushing about the potential that Dante has and just how yes. special he could be. And part of that was because against the lakers and the heat it was the heat wasn't it yeah he had two games where it was in like 19 points he didn't quite get to 20 but he had he had a career high and something right around his career high in the space of three days and he was knocking down a couple of trees whatever we know on his day he can do that he's not a great shooter but he can do that but he was attacking with such speed getting to the rim he was making the difficult finishes that he's just routinely missed and missed, certainly throughout his rookie season, but even early in this season when he was playing well. And he was, like, he was comfortable and showing off with his handle at times, and he'd, like, I'm not saying he'd cross over, guys, but he'd show some kind of advanced skills, and he'd pull up and take a mid-range jumper, and he was making them, and you're like, like, what the hell? Dante can create like this off the dribble now? On top of being like a defender who, for large spells of the year, we're talking about someone who wouldn't have been a million miles out of like all defensive team conversations if he'd played more. And now, in addition to that, he's here and he's showing real ball skills. He's showing more confidence, even just in terms of, you know, the basics of what you'd always ask them to do. Like, this is a game changer. And to go from that to this, and I mean, particularly when the books are crying out just for anyone and as many people as possible to do that. 
I mean, I'm not gonna we're we're not gonna get derailed into a Malcolm Brogdon thing, but it was around the time the season was suspended where we could all put that to bed because Dante was actually yes he was showing the confidence to drive like Brogdon used to drive to just be mm-hmm. like okay I've got the ball there's an opening I'm gonna go and I'm gonna finish and they could desperately use that right now and that's apparent when someone like George Hill George Hill was really good in game two yep. just so, so solid reliable he was the veteran on the floor he was the steady head who didn't get rattled he was one of the few players who looked composed throughout and he just delivered he gave the books what they needed and you watch the game you're like oh if they just had like one more player who could do that and they don't that's and like but that was dante that's i mean that's why and look we talked about and it was something certainly you and i have long been concerned about is just guard depth and look we've seen that bledsoe misses game one and what happens if you have to move george hill up into a bigger role Guard depth is a concern, and particularly someone who's comfortable creating and scoring with the ball in their own hands. And and compounded I, I with think how... you would have liked that at the deadline or of the buyout market, but I, Dante has to be a massive part of the reason they didn't go that route. And compounded with Williams. yes, and compounded with how Giannis has been kept in check in terms of you know he's going to see a wall every time he comes down the floor if they get a rebound. You know what I mean? Like that just. So your initial, like, action or, you know, uh, kind of thought or how you're going to operate offensively is already kind of walled off from you. Then you have to go from, well, then how are we going to create steady offense when, you know, Giannis seen three bodies at a time in front of him. And, you know what I mean? Like, all this stuff. Like, it's it's... And I don't think, I honestly don't think a lot of the stuff that we talked about Dante how many ever months ago, it doesn't, it it can't be immediately discarded because those, that progress, that development and everything can still happen. It's just in a setting where, you know, the this is the Bucks' chance to win a title. It's evaporated faster than anybody could have thought. Well, it has evaporated. It's It's very much in the distance now. Yeah. But the chance is still there. I mean, win game three, win game four, and you find yourself level, and you're looking at just what's a... I just take a crazy and wide-open playoff bracket all around, and the books could feel good about that. Like, we're at the point where it's very difficult to see it, but it is not It is not gone. It is not gone in the way that it would be if they lose game three. Like, this is, this is still possible as hard as it is to see the team doing it as they are right now. Like, yeah. I mean... Sure, if Dante decides like to be a basketball player again, if like the Monsters <laughs> return his powers ahead if of Game Pat, Three, if Pat the Bucks just... could still win a championship. Like it's it is still there for them. I mean, Pat, I Pat, I feel somewhat sorry for it because I think Pat has done some good things. Game One, he did. He was obviously a disaster in Game Two. Uh, he's being leaned on and asked to do a lot more, and he's getting a lot of criticism for that. But, like, in game one, the reason for that is because Dante is absolutely crap. <laughs> it's Dante is terrible. Bledsoe is unavailable. So you've got George Hill. You're giving Frank Mason a couple of minutes. So you're like, we've got to give someone minutes to just carry the ball. Like, and Pat Connaughton is not designed to do that. No, and, to, and, to his credit, he, he can do it serviceably. Two... And he gets on with it when he has to. But it's like... That is a that is a flaw in your roster construction. 
if one injury or even just like one guy being off his game is leaving you that exposed. Sorry, I'll let you get in one second, but it's something that yeah. I've seen a lot of among books fans. Um, I'll I'll name one because it's someone who's a good friend and someone I highly respect their opinions. Uh, Ty Windish, former guest on this podcast, former co-host, really. I mean, I saw Ty tweet, maybe it was game one, he was talking about, you know, the players you just can't play in this series. And logically, I agree with him. And it's easy to be like, okay, you play this guy, this guy, and this guy. The problem is you've got, like, no guards in that. And it's it's just, you need an extra guard. And it should be Dante. And you could really cut your rotation down. And Bud would likely never do it. But we could all row behind and be like, oh, well, if you just cut the rotation down, and it's just Hill and Dante, and they're relieving, like, Bledsoe and Matthews or they're alternating staggering minutes whatever way you play it you'd say okay that works but when Dante's terrible Pat Connaughton has to play now what he doesn't have to do and what the problem is is he doesn't have to play with Dante when Dante is like the walking dead out there yeah like like what what use is Dante out there when he's just relegated to the corner and you're asking him to shoot when he's not that great of a shooter when when he's airballing from the corner he took one shot and it was an airball from the corner yeah yeah, he's. It's it like, was like I'm not going to airball from the corner in a playoff game. I, like he wasn't even under pressure. It was an airball from the corner, and I'm just like, oh my god, like what has happened to him to reach that point? It's, it's very very disappointing for the books. It's very very disappointing. It's it's really really tough for them. But when Pat, we know Pat isn't the greatest shooter. Mm-hmm. Like if you're putting Pat out there with Dante. And often, as has happened, because there is an idea of, oh, well, this is a spacing-friendly lineup, although the guys just collectively cannot shoot now. They often find themselves out there with Giannis, too. I'll move on to Giannis in a second. Like, Giannis has not been good. He's not helping those guys, and they're not helping him. So the whole thing just doesn't work. Now, you've got to pick your spots. I think if you want... I, there's no reason for Pat and Dante to have to play together. If you want to do that, though, I'd be getting them out there with Chris. I'd be getting them out there with Chris and making sure you have, like, George Hill and Wesley Matthews on the floor with Giannis, even if there's a couple of reserves in there. If it's Marvin Williams and, I mean, I don't know, we're running out of reserves. Yeah. Running out of playable reserves. The Bucks, that's the Bucks, uh, one of the themes of the series. <laughs> But it's also that's one of the hallmarks of the team this year. Like, is the quality of their depth, and it's it's a testament to the Heat and how the Heat are constructed. Like, people talked so long about the Sixers and the Sixers, you know, the way they're built for the books. No, the thing that could actually break the books is just like relentless wing depth. Really, that you've got wing depth that's on the small size, you've got wing depth that's on the big size, and you can just cover positions two through four and have guys like next guy up, next guy up, next guy up. I know Derek Jones Jr. came in and was very foul happy. But the luxury of having him be able to come in and not be completely terrible. Like he had a couple of good possessions on Giannis. He blocked blocked that Bledsoe drive. Like that's the kind of thing the books don't have, particularly at the positions they need it. Like, sure, if they needed a forward, if that was where the opening was... If DJ Wilson was active, maybe you get a five-minute spell where DJ Wilson looks good again. 
and that's an equivalent to Derek Jones Jr. But what the Bucks need is they need a guard who can do something like that, and they don't have it. And at that point, it's like you're giving Frank Mason two minutes in game one. Maybe you should have got more minutes, and maybe you just like <laughs> it's insane. Maybe you have to give him more minutes going forward because just Dante cannot be the answer. Yeah, I I mean to go back to like the larger point of like why they're going small and all this stuff. And I just think defensively it kind of speaks for itself that like, okay, game one, they let up, I think it was 25 shots of the restricted area and the heat were just kind of pummeling through them, through the paint, even though a lot of those shots didn't fall down. I think they only hit like less than 50% or something like that. And that's obvious. That's pretty obvious when, Oh yeah. Brooks in foul trouble. He's out for large spells of the game, all this stuff. I just think offensively, like the the biggest problem for me is you have you know Brooke is literally like the sleeping giant of this series where he's playing as well as he has all year. Literally, the 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 theme of of the regular season from October to March eleventh. Go back further. Go back to last postseason. Like, this last is post-season. the best he's yes. played in 16 FIBA months. FIBA Cup or FIBA World Cup. <laughs> Which was a nightmare, yeah. It it was just like, okay, as long as Brooke is finding a shot, this Bucks team is golden. If he, can, if he can ever find his shot, if he can do all this things, these things. And it's happened. This has happened. Like, it's, it's crazy. Like, he's carried them. He carried them in that first to start game two. He he and Chris gave him like balance. It just felt there was just balance whenever whenever he was on the floor for game one, and it like to go back to that the post entry pass and that was I could be wrong here, but that was the first like visible sight that they actually went to him in the post, and it just it it's not the fact that the, you're playing small and you're you know you're trying to meet the Heat's versatility. You're scared of the three point line, all that stuff. You're Kind of capitulating to them in that way is that the is that right capitulating is that a word? Uh, I'm not quite in that context, but you're trying to get smart over here. <laughs> um, the books are certainly capitulating. Yeah, they are. Uh, now that I've looked it up, <laughs> um, but um, I just think it just it was They're deferring to the heat is what you're looking for, really. Yeah, def- yes, exactly. In in every way of like. It just goes down to the fact that, like, he has, he has, he's going to have advantages on him. They're, they were already kind of wary about, like, game one. I think Bam was, like, right on Brook because they know that, hey, if they're going to go to the Brook in the post. And you think, oh, that, that'd be ample time for Giannis to do what he's, you know, always does. Plays, he's the MVP. He hasn't done, uh, game one, he hadn't done any of that. And more game two was, what you would want to see from him, even if it was still incredibly ugly. But I just think there's just this kind of, it just eats away that they, it goes back to like the structure of offense and how we talked about, I think we talked about in a preview pod or like throughout the playoffs. It's just like, you see like where they can get some flow in their offense and it doesn't, everything doesn't have to be so hard. To just pass, you're passing the ball around in the same blue squares. Just 
get a little more structure in the offense and everything kind of comes, you know, even if it's Rolo screening for guys, for guards like Hill. Yeah, Milton, yeah that's, that's, that's something I forgot to mention, but that is also part of what Rolo could bring. Exactly. And, you know, and if he hits a shot, you know, if he hits a three and sips some tea, that's great. But, like, it doesn't have to be, like, oh, he's out there to get shots. It's just, like, his physicality and just just being seven foot tall and how many pounds he is, like it opens up space for other guys to operate. And it just, when that space has been so constricted for so it's it's not, it goes beyond Giannis. It's, I mean, the fact that the heat are closing out, I mean, the Bucks only shot 25 threes yesterday. How many times did we see guys pass up? Lowest of the season, right? I think it's like, it had it had it. And it, um, but part of that, right, and because you mentioned Rolo screening, and something that has jumped out to me through the first two games, and obviously the Heat, in game two particularly, they were trying to force the Bucks inside the three-point line, so much that, like, was that game one late on? No, I think it was game two, where the Bucks inbounded late and Kyle Korver ended up catching inside the three-point line. Was that game two? Anyway, my my general point with this is, for good and for bad, and there has certainly been both from Kyle Corver so far, the thing you notice with Corver, and this is not news, this is not a revelation, this is what he is like one of the all-time greats and maybe still the best player in the NBA at is, um, he's the only player that the books are really getting open shots for. He's the only guy yeah. that, whether it's off dribble handoffs or whether it is off screening, that How many times they're actually seen... getting space to create yeah. shots. And that is on Corver. That is because Corver is running around screens. He's in constant motion. I feel like a broken record because I've talked to this a lot. And when the book's offense gets bad, it often comes down to guys just aren't moving and you're allowing teams to clog the paint. Like, you've got to pull the Heat's defenders away. If you want Giannis to be able to get in there, if you want Bledsoe to be able to get in there, if you want to just play something that resembles your normal game, you've got to get really fluid movement outside. And then whether that results in a cut, there was a lineup, there was a really bad lineup, is how I'll put it out on the floor. And I think Pat Connaughton finished the play with a basket. But the Bucks overpassed. And I was so happy to see them overpass. And I think Pat ended up with an offensive rebound and he put it back in. But I was like, it's the first time they just kept moving the ball. They all kept kind of cycling through their their position cycling through the quadrants is essentially what it was and it's just pass 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 if we've got a circle around under the rim and pass and pass again and pass again and guess what you scored and it didn't matter who was on the floor because you didn't just stand there as five players where the heat can play man to man and be like okay well i guess one of us will half cover pat Connaughton and one of us will half cover dante divincenzo and that's enough because if those guys are in motion, like particularly with those two guys as examples, like that's playing to their strengths. Get them moving, allow them to, you know, cut and get themselves to the dunker spot. Or if they're receiving the ball, they're receiving it like on the pass with momentum that they can then drive and use their athleticism. It's you've got to play more to what your team strengths are, and that both stands for individual players, but also your larger goals offensively. So that is something, even when you look at the screening, you're like, uh, part of me thinks the books could do all the screening in the world <laughs> and still end up with just terrible looks on yes. about 50, 60% of those shots. 
because guys just aren't bothered to really run round. <laughs> like, it's as simple as that. It's like, it's not even just like the old guys. I, I This is something that maybe is most glaring to me because the last time I watched Corver this often was on yeah. a Budenholzer Hawks team that was just famous for this. Everyone would do it. And it became contagious. And then after that, Corver taught guys, which is the the thing that it's kind of, it hasn't rubbed off, but someone like Kent Bazemore, nowhere near as good as a shooter, but he became really good at knowing how to just drag his defender around the court, run him off mm-hmm. screens, and create space. It's like, I don't know why Dante and Pat can't do that. I mean, maybe George Hill can't do that at his age. He arguably doesn't need to with just how good of a shooter he is. But even someone who isn't a great shooter, I mean, get Eric Bledsoe running off screens relentlessly. Get him running off screens because guys will go with him because if he gets the ball with half an opening, he's quick enough to get inside and get to the rim. You know, just you've got to do that. Wesley Matthews, I think, could still do that. And he doesn't do enough of it. I don't know what is up. Like, consider how well he was shooting against the Magic. His his trees are all coming up short. Yeah. Like, from the corner, he's hitting the near side of the iron. And you're like, what? what is going on? Why is that happening as it is? Uh, well, we talk about Giannis because we've talked about everyone else. Yeah. You mentioned Brooke as the sleeping giant and how well he's playing and, you know, this is what you're waiting for. And I think the term you used was, like, as we have always said, and we have, you know, if Brooke is shooting well, the books are gold. There's one problem with that. What is Brooks, like, entire function offensively on this team? What is the reason the book signed Brook Lopez in the first player in the first place, made him into the player he now is, and that he's still such a foundational piece of what they do offensively, even on the nights where he scores like four points? Just space for space for Friannis. Mm-hmm. It's. It's not even just to space the floor. It's just to it's purely to open the floor for Giannis. It's to have a center who can clear all the way out, and you're not going to have anyone crowding in there. And it's like, look, wide open space. Which, yeah, that's a great theory until the opposing team are like, no, no, we're just going to stand five players there and take that space away. We're not going to let you get through it. We're in a series where Brooke is playing well. I'm very encouraged by Bledsoe's playoffs overall so far. Like, I mean, and this is the stuff of our wild. I would streets. say, I would say the first half. No, I'm I'm very encouraged. Oh, I, or, sorry, I think I think you said for the series for the playoffs. Yes, he's he's been Play, playoffs solid. overall. I mean, I think yesterday he was good. I mean, it's it's like when people killed Chris for not having like another whatever 21 points in the second half of game one it's like yeah but that's not how this works you know yeah if you if you come out with a good game overall i'm not gonna be like oh he was just he didn't do the exact same thing in the second half as the first half that can't be expected but like what any team needs and what the books need is you know each guy has to come on in spurts you've all everyone's gonna have their moment and that will carry the team as a whole and we've been used to bledsoe like (laughs) doing nothing doing nothing for the books in the playoffs and he played his part and against the magic i thought he was quite good too so you've got brooke doing his thing you've got bledsoe playing well i think you've got chris playing well uh wesley matthew is not playing well offensively right now his defense was excellent against jimmy yeah. butler 
that certainly as if there was any doubt which there wasn't that he should have been on the floor to guard Jimmy Butler down the stretch of game one uh, he certainly answered that in game two but you've got George Hill playing well I mean you've got all of this your top your top five guy or top five of your top six then none of those guys matter none of them matter they're all they're all completely irrelevant if Giannis isn't good and I understand the 29 and 14 sounds good. Uh, Giannis has not been good at all for this series. No. And the books are minus 21 in his 73 minutes against the Heat so far. So if you're on average losing Giannis minutes by over 10 points per game, you've got no hope. And sure, part of that is on his teammates and it's on Bud for the lineups he's put out there with him. Yas is just also not doing his stuff. He's not playing like he needs to play. And I, I'm i uncomfortable with the notion of, you know, this is all in the books and the books are failing Yanis because quite honestly, right now, I think Yanis is having a pretty embarrassing series. That's the kind of series that will have all kinds of labels attached to him for years, whether he's with the books or anyone else. And knowing what he's like, knowing his character, I can only imagine that's eating away at him, but I'm not seeing the signs of a response. And I mean, there's multiple elements to this I alluded to earlier. His decision-making, I think, is terrible. Just terrible. That goes to his fouls, but there's also moments when... It's not necessarily that he's not passing when he should do, because I think he's passing all the time. You know, he's passing too much. Um... There are moments when he can drive past the guy who's picking him up and he just doesn't do it now. I think he's given Jay Crowder way too much respect in this series. Like, that is not a matchup for him. That is not a matchup where he has to be concerned. It's like the Heat's wider strategy has played into it, where there's moments where, you know, he's got Jay Crowder one-on-one. They're trying to wall off, but there's space. There's a gap. I mean, he had that incredible play where he came, like, a truck kind of powering down the lane and he had the Euro step at the last second to take himself the opposite direction to Bam and finish with a dunk. Mm -hmm. And it was highlighted in the commentary. uh, Doris Burke was talking about like just the incredible speed with which he did it. And like, that is it. That is the thing that is, if you're looking at when he's attacking, when he's not attacking, if you have the speed to switch your direction like that, to just change a direction and leave a guy for dead, you're doing that to Bam? Like, why are you not doing that to Jay Crowder? Instead, I feel like anytime we see Giannis go at Jay Crowder, it's like in the post almost. Slow it down. It's slow. And Jay Crowder is just waiting for contact to throw himself, flop himself down onto the court. Uh, it happened with, like the elbow he got the other day, yep. the elbow, you know, quote unquote, the elbow, like <laughs> you've just got to take these players in the open court. There was a spell, not that long, but there was a spell of about two, two and a half minutes where Kelly Olynyk was what the books are, what the heat had out there in terms of size. Like, yep. You've got to run actions and get mismatches and get Giannis running at Kelly Olenek. This is the other thing. They're not forcing switches. Like, if Giannis is going to have the ball and he's going to dribble and he's going to survey things and the Heat aren't going to do anything on the perimeter, 
you've got to get motion with the other guys and you've got to try and, you know, pick out mismatches, work switches. Don't let them say, we want Jay Crowder or we want Bam Adebayo or we want Jimmy Butler, whoever it might be at any given time, Andre Iguodala to guard Giannis. Don't let them do that. They've got multiple capable defenders, but don't let the guy who wants to get set on that given possession be the person to pick him up and stop him. It's like, get something going. Get basically just the play moving. As players move, get the ball moving, and then when you get it to him, drag a player over and get a mismatch. And it's not happening. And a big part of that is on coaching, but there's also, I think, a real failure so far in this series in terms of just recognition from Giannis. You know, it's... You watch the... I'll, I'll use the Thunder as an example. Uh, Billy Donovan's had a great season. He is not necessarily famous for his play calls, though. Some of his decisions can be baffling at best. I mean, stuff that make Bud look like the ultimate genius and innovator of NBA coaching. <laughs> But in the flow of a game, right, and this may be one of the most extreme examples of this is a guy who will just do it. Like, highest IQ of anyone maybe in the NBA, but when Chris Paul sees something, Chris Paul is going to act on it. He's not going to go, oh, you know, the coach isn't doing this. I there's It happened again after game two when Yanis is asked questions. It's all, I'm going to do whatever coach does, whatever coach wants me to do. Uh, it's a conversation for another day I think but I don't like that I don't like it, it doesn't give me a good feeling um, doesn't give me a good feeling in the bigger picture but I think more importantly in the moment it doesn't say a lot for Giannis it doesn't say a lot for you know just read the game you're about to be the two time MVP you're about to join Michael Jordan and Hakeem Olajuwon as the only players ever to win MVP and Defensive Player of the Year in the series, and you're going to go out in the second round like this? Mm-hmm. Like, with this listless performance, he has been terrible. And if this plays out as it has done so far, whether the books get swept or lose in five, six, or seven, we all know what's coming. We all know the just kind of the monumental conversations that are going to play out from there. And we all know all of the people who are going to get the finger pointed at them. Bud will get the finger pointed at him. John Horst will probably get the finger pointed at him. Ownership, Ownership certainly will for the Malcolm Brogdon decision. Chris Middleton, I'm sure, will. Uh, even though he's played very well, it will be, oh, you know, he honestly needs a better second option. You know, you can go down the line. Everyone will get the blame. Right now, a large, large proportion, if not the majority of the blame, for me, belongs with Giannis. That's not saying that Bud isn't at fault in a major way too. It's not saying that the books couldn't be doing a whole lot better, but this is the guy and the team is built around him. And you're two years doing this. And he spoke at length and very candidly about how he never wanted to be found out by what the Raptors did to him in the conference finals last year. And he is, he's getting found out. He's getting found out against lesser defenders and I think he's struggling even more in the process. Like, I I, I just... Maybe I'm out in a limb on this, because maybe people just look at this, his box score and they go, oh, that's a good line. I mean, he's playing well. He's doing his part. 
that was the worst 29-14 I've seen in a long time. And the way it came about, even the way some of them, I mean, it was just, it's an occasional burst. I mean, he had a really important and one late, but it's just, he's he's not, he's not even close to the focal point. He's a passenger in a way that, like, when Chris is in the game, and even more so when Yana sits, Chris is actually looking to take the initiative to make things yeah. happen in a way that we've always, like, doubted he would or could do. We were doubting it even a week ago when he was taking eight shots in a game. And, pa- and yeah, passing up even just simple shots that would come naturally to him. And here he is, and he's getting to the free throw line a ton. Not his game again. Uh, you know... <laughs> You look at that and you're like, if Chris can do that, Giannis has to figure that out. And Giannis has to take control of it. And over the years, we've seen it be walled off against the Heat, against the Raptors, against plenty of good teams. And maybe he doesn't score 20 points, but he'll have like 12 assists. And he'll just be really positive in everything he's doing. His passing will be crisp. And that's not the case either. There was... There was a couple of handoffs even that were sloppy. There was one... Did he have the one with Brooke, or was that Chris? It, it honestly doesn't matter, because there have been multiple over the course of the series, and Giannis has had some of them. But where you're in a just really simple stuff, and it's not crisp, it's not focused and precise. No. And, like, we can talk about every element of this, and we've talked about a lot of them already, and we could talk about Pat Connaughton and Dante DiVincenzo. If Giannis Antetokounmpo isn't the best player on the court... If Giannis Antetokounmpo isn't the best player in this we're, series. Yeah, we're done here. Like, what are we talking about? We're talking about a team that, yeah, maybe they could, like, over outperform expectations and be an Indiana Pacers-esque, you know, five or, or well, they were four, weren't they? Four seed? Yeah. yeah. Four, five, six seed. But guess what? What happened to the Pacers against the Heat? Swept. And the Bucks are the Pacers right now, unless Giannis decides to be honest. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we've talked about this a lot where it's like, oh, yeah, he got has 29-14, but, like, <laughs> Giannis naturally is going to get numbers. That's – we've kind of – that we've certainly come to expect that. It's when he doesn't – that's like, oh, okay, what is the reason for it? Is it foul trouble, all this stuff? There's also, right, 29-14, and because there's so much talk about his uh, his minutes being too low that you you'd actually miss the point. 29 and 14 is underperforming just on a numbers level for Giannis because he doesn't normally play 36 or 37 minutes a game. Like, you're talking about him coming in, like, right at his averages with an extra 20% minutes wise. Mm-hmm. So it is even in a raw kind of number sense, just because it sounds impressive. It's underperforming what he usually delivers. And I think a lot of it, I mean, the offense is what it is. I mean, we know the strategy, the wall, building up a wall, all that stuff. And, he just desperately is wanting to control like how he can do it. And it's just like, dude, you're just doing the same. You're the battering ram and the, it's the, the heat are going to bend. They're going to bend, but they're not going to break when you have, when you do make it through. And you know what I mean? Like it just, they are as dis- this, it's not even just this year's team. They've always been one of the best teams in guarding Giannis. This goes back to, when he won most improved player of the year four years ago, it's been a track record. And it's, I mean, again, Eric Spolstra has been, if not the only certainly, or I guess Dragic too, but like, yeah, I mean, like 
He's yeah, James, James Johnson and Hassan Whiteside used to give him nightmares under nightmares. this coaching staff's game plan. And they have moved on and upgraded a long way from James Johnson and Hassan Whiteside. Absolutely. And I just think defensively he's been – I think defensively he has been even more concerning. I know there's some blocks like the Butler block in like the first quarter of game one. And he, you know, he'll meet people at the rim and stuff like that. And this is not a – Oh, why is Giannis not guarding Jimmy Butler? It's not. It's just the fact that, like, I just think he's. I just think he's been just a step slow, or I don't know if it's this shell shocked or whatever, but it's it's just been, it's been out of character for him in a lot of ways. He's not seizing the moment. I mean, in many ways, like this is his big moment. If he wants them, this is and still can be this whole playoff run, this series. Like, if he figures it out and he comes out and the Bucks win this series, well, wow, that's a big kind of, that's a big step for him. And it's it's a big thing in terms of his, like, career and accomplishments. And I think this is something as well that just doesn't really get looked at. I, I There's a different conversation for a different day just about what it feels like to see the Bucks go through all of this and what the discourse around it is. Like, yes. it, we we can have that conversation at a different point. Um, but we're probably going to have to have that conversation. It might be next week. Yeah. Um, but there's part of that too, where the way that the league and the way that players, the, the obsession with players over teams is so unhealthy because it's all about who's right, who's wrong. It's all about one upmanship. But beyond that, it also leads to a point where I just, players get let off the hook in terms of accountability because books fans are doing this right now it's just purely like oh the books are failing on us you know we don't deserve him we don't deserve him no he is he's failing his teammates he's not playing to the best of his ability and the team are losing as a result if he played to the best of his ability they'd be winning it doesn't mean that the books can't do more for him but this is a very much a two-way street. As much as everyone has turned the NBA into a league that's only about like five, six players and whatever their uh, their will is at a given moment, it's not the case. It's still a team game. The Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship last year. Sure, they had an absolute superstar putting in an all-time performance, but look at the rest of their guys. Look at the guys who made themselves into something greater and also look at how they're doing in the second round this year it's like it it speaks to something so Giannis has to make those around him better with his play and that will bring out the best in him too and for me it's like there's something that's so lost in this idea which look I'm not saying it's false it may well be true we could be like a week away from Giannis wants out as in like actually reported by real reporters he wants out he's had enough if that's the case, though, I mean, I don't think it's going to reflect well on Giannis to kind of crap the bed in a series on the way out and be like, yeah, I need a better team. Like, we all know what that kind of philosophy, and it's not even players who've performed, I think, as poorly as he is right now in the postseason. We know how that's affected, like, Kevin Durant's legacy. We know how it affected LeBron's legacy when he did it in the first place. Why? Less so, but sure. Yeah, same thinking. Anthony Davis. I mean, I, I mean, it's worked out well. <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, that, that, is, people... that is the thing. Why? Why is 
why is it so broken that like because part of me thinks and i even mentioned it earlier like Giannis is playing in a way like he shot his free throws much better in game two vital yeah. vital but the books lose by two points and he misses two free throws in a row late in the fourth quarter like his last two free throws in the game now there is a time when all of, and I don't know, I don't see them, but from anything I've seen in social media, this isn't the narrative today, where all of the talk shows on TV, on radio, all your sports talk would be Giannis choked. He's a choker. And it would be all about him. And yet it's not. It's all about the books. And I find that, I find it interesting, but I, I also more than a little puzzled by it, because this is not... Yanis uh, at his best, putting up 45 points, completely dominating. And Chris Middleton has got four points, and Brooke Lopez has got two points, and Eric Bledsoe is a no-show. That's not what we're seeing right now. It's not even close to what we're seeing. Those other guys are they are playing their part. They're holding up their end of the bargain. They're actually doing more than that. Like yep. it's, it's Certainly in Brooke's case, I even think in Chris's case to a degree. Uh, he's taking on some extra responsibility that he he didn't even have to do last year. Like, wouldn't have been asked to do, and he's doing it. Chris having eight assists in a playoff game. I mean, we've seen his assists improve significantly, but eight assists and also only three turnovers, like, that is a big step for a guy who just, that was not part also, of the game. Sorry to cut across. I, I think one thing that's getting lost in the series, he's been really good, really good on Duncan Robinson. Yeah, he has for sure. And so he's playing a very formidable two-way performance and chasing around, you know, one of the, what, who is Duncan Robinson was the guy that we irrationally like, okay, this if he is Duncan Robinson, we're screwed. He's also <laughs> the know? guy that we both expected Matthews to be on just because I couldn't imagine yeah. Chris like chasing him around screens. Uh, if, if, if it wasn't Wesley, I was thinking, oh, maybe they put Bledsoe on him. Yeah, Just because speed wise, he's he can easily fluster him. <laughs> there was a series of possessions in game one where it was really apparent where he was chasing him so hard. Yeah, but he was like, com- Middleton was completely out of control. He was basically just skidding across the floor, trying to find ways to like get fight his way through screens and stay close to him. It was about as uh, ugly as defense gets, but it was working. He was doing it. He was finding a way to do it. And it, he was being effective. And like, these are all the things. I, I think that is part of it. Like, we can we can pin this whole thing down as, oh, you know, we all knew, we all knew these things were there and they're coming back to haunt them. I No, I don't think that's the case. Because no. I think so many of the major worries that we would have had, and the thing that, you know, Sports Talk Radio has talked about with the books for quite some time is, oh, the supporting cast isn't good enough, the supporting cast isn't good enough. I mean, if we're talking about that now, we're talking about guys 8, 9, 10. And that certainly applies, and there's not a whole lot you can do about that. But you know it's what? Like, you can get away with that if guy number one is as good as guy number one is. If he's playing like the best player in the world that he is most of the time. And it's it's not like... I'm not going in on Giannis as in I've lost all fate in Giannis. But I, I just think I would find it very difficult for anyone to take any analysis of this series seriously that isn't just like yeah he's supposed to be the best player in the series and he's not playing anywhere near it like he's just not making it happen he's not even embracing that challenge and taking on for himself 
like no matter what people think of LeBron, um, I know he's not many people's favorite players. That's whatever. Um, LeBron over the years, he's dealt with this to some degree. He's dealt with the ups and downs and he's dealt with more scrutiny than maybe any player that's ever lived. And in doing so, in before coming to the NBA, yeah, it's, that's that's the thing. I mean, that's really the part of it. But in doing so, I think one thing he's always embraced is just like making positive plays. Remember when he used to get criticized for making passes all the time for passing up big shots. Yeah. But the thing was, he was making great passes to good shooters, like. You know, that would always be the argument when it would play out would be, oh, yeah, he needs to take that shot, he needs to take that shot. And someone would say, yeah, I get it, but, like, I don't know. He he did make a great pass to Shane Battier. You know, that's he's actually making the better basketball play in the moment. It, this may not be the Michael Jordan mindset of it, which is just, or let's the Jimmy Butler mindset of it, which is just, I'm going to take the shots, give me the ball, and you're not getting it back. But he was making the right basketball plays. And over the course of his career, that approach actually paid off. Sure, he made plenty of big shots himself, but the most significant shot in any game that, well, uh, I was going to say that. Yeah, he'll come out with the other one. You know what? The most significant shot in any game that LeBron James has ever played in. I think there's two shots you could choose here, and the key is that he didn't take either of them. So you know what two shots I'm talking about. Yeah, game seven, 2016, in Rio. Yeah, so, so game seven, 2016 is Kyrie, right? Yep. Like, they're the shots, and other guys on his team took them. And that's actually part of LeBron's legacy is the fact that he put teammates in those positions and he was comfortable with that. That may not make him everyone's favorite player. That may mean he doesn't live up to the standards that some people hold for their superstar, for their MVP. Uh, it's just like, who cares? Forget all of that. That's what Giannis needs to do right now. Because if you make plays for your teammates that purposely, and you know Giannis needs shooters around him, guess what? The book's got him shooters. Pat Connett and Dante DiVincenzo may not be shooters, but George Hill is, Kyle Corver is, Wes Matthews is, Brooke Lopez certainly is right now, Chris Middleton yes. is, Marvin Williams is. The Bucks have no problem putting him out there with lineups that have forward or shooters if they want to. But even when they're doing that, he is not he is not using the attention that he's getting, and he's getting all of the attention. The whole scheme is designed to stop him to create better looks for his teammates. And if he came out with that focus in game three and he's like, okay. They're not letting me get to the rim. And when I go there, I'm likely going to pick up offensive fouls. I've got to I've got to break this down a different way. I've got to work with it. If he came out purposely and he made really great passes to good shooters like the books have, they'll make shots. And if it's George Hill, if it's Chris Middleton, if it's Kyle Korver, whoever it might be, like any of those guys, the kind of players the books have, I mean... I think Marvin Williams and Wes Matthews are probably the only shooters the books have that they can be really good shooters and the Heat would just live with it over and over again. Yep. Those other guys, you're gonna you're you're gonna blink eventually and it may be sooner rather than later. Like if if the books started getting really good shots for Kyle Corver, uh you're gonna start 
sending guys Kyle Korver's way. You just it's it's not something you can live with. George Hill leads the NBA in three point percentage this season. You know, if George Hill starts to get hot, you're gonna send guys his way. Chris Middleton, you just you can't risk him getting in a rhythm because let alone like kind of just kind of spotting up and getting him catch and shoot looks, it's then what can he do beyond that if he really gets into a groove and he's gonna be attacking you off the dribble. Like Chris's ability to cross guys up and just to create his own space as well is it's it's actually insane. It's it's something that maybe it like we all know he's got better, but when I think to the guy say the guy that when you and I started this, which was was that Chris's first season with the team? Second. Second season. Or no, second third, season third technically, but second as a real Well, yeah, second second full season to team. Yeah. Um like just none of that was even close to his game. You know the way people could say, "Oh well, you know, Giannis had the tools; he was just so raw." And if it all came out, he's going to be this guy. I don't think anyone saw Chris doing some of the things he can now do. And I just, you know, with that, Giannis has to. It's not about trust your teammates. Trusting your teammates doesn't mean I trust my teammates; they can maybe get me out of this. It needs to be, I trust my teammates, so I'm going to go out there and I'm going to play to get my teammates' looks, knowing that if I do that, if they make them, all of a sudden there's going to be more space for me to play my game. And I think it has to happen. Now, my question for you would be, uh, Game 3 is as must win as it gets. Oh, yeah. There's going to be some change. I I don't know what it is, but there's going to be a change of some sort, like something major. Um, this is what Bud does. Bud is, for all the talk about adjustments, Bud, I would say, is not a coach for subtle adjustments. So when Bud adjusts, <laughs> uh, Bud really adjusts, possibly over-adjusts, and that could be something entirely different. I think we could see a lineup change. And I don't know what that would be. And I'm a little concerned that he's got this fascination with Small being the answer here. That I wonder, would he move Brooke to the bench? No. I, no. I don't know, Jordan. Um, oh. I think one of the things that would be worth exploring, and I want to hear if you've got any ideas. I, I think George Hill for Wesley Matthews in the starting lineup is worth a look. I think closing, you're like, he's still going to need Wes out there for his defense on Jimmy Butler. But there was a couple of looks Bledsoe had on Butler, which were okay. I think you can, you can see how Chris goes on Butler, particularly early in the game. Look, Jimmy's thing is late in the game. He wants the ball. He's going to take over. I just think the books could do it one uh, getting an even better shooter on the floor, and certainly right now on current form, Hill is a better shooter than Wesley Matthews. But I think more importantly, another ball handler, another player who can create off the dribble, another player who can just, oh, there's an opening, I'm going to drive. Uh, unlike, was it? I this always happens to me where I mix up games, but I feel like it was last night where Wes had that drive down the middle of the paint where he then yeah, tried to pass out to the corner, there. and it was just like but that, not that even close. Like- that goes with how we're talking about, like, Pat, like, he's thrust into this, like, I don't know, 
the drive and kick guy where it's like, well, he's doing that to, because Dante is failing. And like, you know what I mean? Like there's just this, mm-hmm. the whole read or react nature of their offense is when you have a guy like Wes Matthews doing that, that's when it's like, Oh, we should probably get it more into our, where the ball should be in our, you know, bigger focal points of the offense. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I do. I think there will be a change. I just the books are going to Bud is going to try something. Um, <laughs> I'm not anticipating it being something that people are going to be thrilled when they hear about it. Uh, how it works out, that's a different thing. Time tells, but I think Hill could be the option now. If you're doing that, of course, the problem still exists and possibly becomes even more pressing. What game did they do that with? One of the games late in the regular season. Was that a bubble game? Yes. What game was that? Why am I forgetting? Was it the final game? Because remember Wesley Matthews got injured. He hurt his back. He got injured in the... the um, rapid... Yeah, it was. It was the final game of the regular season, I think. The one against the Grizzlies, right? Yeah. Because that was the first time where it was like, oh, Dante's not the starter anymore? Dante doesn't get these minutes. Um, That's what I was which, Yeah, well, I mean, look, this is not new. He was terrible in the bubble. Like, it's been coming, and it, as we mentioned in the preview, it's not like Bud is being slow to react to that. Like, Dante's minutes. He played eight minutes in game two. Like, Dante playing eight minutes. That's, like... That's so much has talked about, you know, Bud's favorite players, and it's always Ursan. If Ursan even makes an appearance, that's the thing. Dante was, in a very real sense, one of Bud's favorites. And we oh, talked yeah. about this from his rookie season when he was like just nowhere near what he was, and he was coming in to start his rookie season, like as first, second guy off the bench. And we're all like, what's going on? Like, Bud clearly loves Dante's game, and he's down to eight minutes, and that is everything you need to know about Dante in the bubble. But Dante in the bubble does factor into, you know, if if the books are to go to something like Hill starting, like the balance of your your minutes, the balance of your rotation beyond that is just so vital. And it could all crumble then if you ended up with guys in foul trouble again. You know, you'd need to have faith in your team's discipline to do something like that because particularly, uh, you know, at the guard spots, you just don't have quality depth. But it's it's something I'd give a lot of attention to, particularly because I think more than anything else, the Bucks need to come out of the gates with their offense in game three. Yes. You know, we know we know their defense is central to them having any chance to win, but they can't have a repeat of what happened yesterday. No. Um which Certain they got twenty nine points in the end, but that was because I think the pace kind of got away from them in a way that just never happens to the books. Sometimes the pace is roaring; it's the books controlling it. But the pace got away because they weren't doing anything defensively, and the heat racked up the score. But they need to come out with their offense. They need to come out and put themselves in a good position because, like, I just there's there's no way back if the books are like ten points down in the second quarter in game three. They're not like equipped, they were they're not equipped to play that that far behind. Well, at any point, really. Well, the thing with that is, 
what is it now? Maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Remember the time before these last two games when the Bucks played the Miami Heat? Wait, which one? The bubble oh, regular the bubble season game, game with yeah. the Heat, where they had what was one of the biggest comebacks in NBA history. Yep, down t- uh, down as much as twenty three and won by like fifteen or something like that. Like they can do that. Just, <laughs> you wouldn't believe that now. I was thinking about it at moments, or it's like I didn't even believe it, just, it then. It's so <laughs> hard fought. I could believe it then. They were playing terrible and had been, but it's not like it's the kind of thing we haven't seen from them before. Yeah. In terms of just being able to turn it on and just completely blast a team. Like, we've seen it, but watching yesterday, you're like, just a six-hour run is the most exhausting hard-fought thing you could imagine, which that is where the Heat deserve credit. I tweeted about it, and it wasn't just a joke. I was literally John McLaughlin style. I just was, the whole game, I was like, (laughs) score, stop, score. You know, in my head, I was like, if they could just get a score, get a stop. Uh, I just remember now that, so I can't remember who, someone requested we talk about the pop-up zone. Um, uh. There's your obligatory <laughs> pop-up zone mention. But I was thinking a lot of Johnny Mac while I was watching game two. I was like, somewhere Johnny Mac is watching this and he's just, he's thinking the same thing I'm thinking. You know, he, he certainly he's, threw down his headset after that butler foul. The, the oh yeah, that, that would have, that would have led to real... <laughs> That's one where you wish you had Johnny Mac on the call. It's not often anymore that I'm like, if only he was on the call, but that could have been good. Um, But score, stop score. And it's like, it's such a simple thing, particularly for a team as good defensively as the books, a team that can be as good offensively as the books have sometimes been. It's like, just string a couple of buckets together without giving anything up. Like, this is, you know, it's like, it's a staple of what they've done. And yet, it is such an effort to do it that if you fall behind, it's it's trouble. And even if you don't fall behind, they're not getting out and giving themselves a lead where you have the leeway to rally when the Heat makes some shots. And that is one thing I have to say, like, um, I think you mentioned in your takeaways piece, as I get ready to attack you live on air, Jordan, um, Bledsoe's defense on Goran Dragic and it not quite being... You know, he wasn't nullifying Dragic, I think is the best way you could put it. Yeah. He did everything he should have done for about three possessions on Dragic, where Dragic just drained the tree right over the top of him, where you're like, okay, well, this is stupid. We found this year's Fred Van Vliet. Like, there's there is an element of that to it. And the Heat have that. Like, Jay Crowder even had a, a couple of trees at one point. There's part of me that's annoyed that Duncan Robinson just isn't going off for 40 points a game and torching us the way he's, that... He's had... Know. Talking about ugly misses, he's had a couple. Oh, yeah. He's, the Bucks have him way off his game, and yet... They are not... It's, it's still not good. Um, Do you think the Bucks can... Like, we're scheduled to record... We will be recording. We're going to record on Sunday night, whether it goes up Monday morning or Sunday night. Are we... Oh, God, that could be the end. Oh, is that an God. obituary? Oh my god, I didn't realize that. Ugh. Like what it, what do you think what do you realistically think is possible? Do you see a path to us recording at two all on Sunday night? I don't even know. I don't know. I I mean 
I I don't know. I don't even know where. I'm letting the series take me where it takes us. I guess. <laughs> I don't. I have no idea where this could be because it's like it's it's the worst case scenario being down two o or yeah two o, and uh, I just can't imagine. I can't. Man- I just can't imagine a series win at this point. It, however it looks, it just if it's as crushing as a full on sweep. I mean. I don't even know. Disaster's not even the right word. Oh, look, if if it's a full-on sweep, uh, I think Giannis is gone. He's certainly not signing a Supermax. I think Bud is definitely fired. I think they're looking at, like, blowing up the roster in whatever form, whether that's we need to make, like, mega drastic moves to try and convince Giannis to stay, or whether it is we need to be prepared that we could be about to lose him. If, If they got swept to... I mean, no disrespect to the Heat, but to this Heat team, as well it's, organized it's the, as they are, as well as they execute, if if you can't beat this team, like like the future is nothing. Like we're, I don't know what Steve Nash is going to be like as a coach, but the Brooklyn Nets are going to be a lot better next season, whenever that happens. You know, and maybe the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers do something that doesn't make them irrelevant. I I, I just. If if you can't beat this team, and I, I mean the other part of this is like, if the Heat are planning on collecting other pieces, even if that doesn't end up being Giannis, I mean they're doing everything they need to do to make that case. Like uh, these kind of performances and the ability to do this kind of stuff is part of what gets someone like Jimmy Butler enthusiastic. Where you go make a trade and you know he's in right away. Uh, you can get other guys like this. It's, it's not hard to convince players to go and play for the Heat and go and live in South Beach and all of that. But particularly when the results are down like this on the court too, like yeah, you're gonna have a lot of players who are gonna want to play there. So if right now and at this point and with this opportunity, you can't make it happen. I mean, if they got swept, like it's not just like getting swept is beyond any oh it was a weird season and oh but they just didn't find their form after the restart it's just like no you you can't you can't rework that in a way where it can be spun into well you know just there was some bad luck there it's there was something deeper wrong i mean and the part of this is and if it does go that way whether it's a sweep or it's just a series defeat like we said it at the time and we we knew it could be something that like could be 40 years from now people could still be talking about of you know what would have happened if the season didn't stop when it did for the books yep. like it, it's something that people could agonize over forever and we hoped that it wouldn't come to that but i think it is going to be a what if question that people are going to think about um i what if malcolm brogdon wasn't traded is going to be another one i'm not saying one way or another what kind of merit there is to that but like I'm not going to tell anyone not to talk about it, particularly now, like particularly with the way this is unfolding. I think it's certainly it's valid to have that conversation, uh, regardless of his health issues, regardless of his flaws. I think with the way this series is playing out, if you weren't looking at it and being like, would they be better off with another guy who could kind of create for himself and drive? And yeah, they would. <laughs> they definitely would. We're just talking about how all they really could do it is another guard who can do that. And they could have paid the tax and they could have had Brogdon. You know, could have got out of it, could have traded him down the line. All of that has now passed. Um, I think they win game three. 
I think Just winning four out. Of, I think winning four out of five with the way they must be feeling, with the way the momentum of the series has gone, is as difficult as it gets. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. This team is good enough. They just aren't showing that right now. But I think they win game three. So I think when we do record next, um, and that's going to be it. That's going to be the crucial. Like, if they get to two all, I think they'll get to the conference finals. I still believe that, if they can do that. But that is such a big if. That's going to take so much from them over the next two games to get to that point. Right now, I'm not optimistic. My feeling is they probably split the next two games at best, which at that point, it's it's realistically over. Writing's on the wall. But my my we'll my biggest worry is so we've already seen this kind of frantic, volatile Bucks team, and now they're down two zero, and they they know that they have to stem the tide, and that's what makes me even. More yeah, because we saw last year that once it started to go wrong, Everything they just went wrong. they went with the tide. They just put their hands up in the air, and it was the yeah, case of we and yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just float away with you there. Um, <laughs> which I mean, that's that's something certainly that if it does, if it ends up in a sweep and it's just like it went wrong and it just collapsed. I mean. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about the coach and he's going to get fired and he's going to deserve it in that case. But that's something that on the players wouldn't be a good reflection if their exits came through losing four games in a row for consecutive years. Yeah. Yep. Things are not great, Jordan. Um, 2020 hasn't been a banner year for a lot of things. Uh, Let's now officially, I think include the Milwaukee books on that. Um, until further notice, they could still work their way off that. But right now, it hasn't been the greatest of years for the books. <laughs> okay, I'm picking them to win game three and hoping that they could get game four. Uh, I really, I don't, I'm not going to push Jordan, but I don't think he's picking necessarily either of those things. I I don't know. I'm beyond I just want to see two, a freaking right? win. Yeah, they can't, they're not going to get swept, are they? I don't know. That's going to be the line, what I just said there, that's going to be in when David's done 21, does it? <laughs> Video retrospective of this season. I I delivered it all too perfectly for that, so I instantly regret it. Uh, Okay, Jordan. Um, (laughs) I was less bothered by all of this when we started than after we talked about it for an hour and 40 minutes. I don't know if that was the best thing for me. Yeah. But we did it for everyone else, so I hope. I mean, I know they're not going to enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, if you're enjoying this, you must be a Heat fan. Um, or, or, one of those. Or, or a fan of any other team, really. All those people willing the underdog. The Photoshop, to... the Jersey Photoshop people. Yeah, all those people. You know, Small market books, nobody wants us to win. What a terrible, yeah. terrible time we live in. All right, on that note, you can read mine, Jordan, the rest of our team's writing at BehindTheBookPass.com. We have thoughts on this series every day if you really are into, like, suffering. You can <laughs> read quite a lot about it. 
You can also, if you are a masochist, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Foster SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, or Favourites, and tune in radio, where mm, there's a good chance that more misery will be coming up for you soon. Right yep. in your ears. Just pour it in. Kathy Bates hitting us with a big sledgehammer. <laughs> Uh, as I said at the beginning of the podcast the books are back baby until the next time thanks all of you for listening thank you Jordan thank you